From Nepal to North London, from Delhi to Dagenham, from the terraces to the armchair, it's an Arsenal Thing podcast. Football's in our DNA. To it's an Arsenal Thing podcast. I'm your host Tom, but I'm not alone. Oh no. I've got the man of mystery, the bag broadcaster, and the emperor of the unspoken word. Keeping it real, keeping it quiet. It's Silent Dave. Hold on. Uh, looking a bit normal today, Dave. No quirky stuff, no uh, tasseled fedora, sequined mankini, fairy light underpants or high visibility PVC sarong. Um, Dave has been having a bit of a wardrobe crisis recently, but we're very conservative today, sir. Oh, yes. Looking like a sort of door-to-door salesman, an insurance salesman. Let's rewind to March 2nd, 2002. Arsenal fans witnessed a moment of pure genius at St James's Park with quite possibly the best goal ever scored in the Premiership. Yes, I am, of course, talking about that Bergkamp goal against Newcastle. And also rewinding the clock, 2014, Arsenal unveiled a statue of the iconic Bergkamp pose. That one where he looks like he's some sort of superhero. In football news, referee Anthony Taylor has called for more understanding and more empathy towards referees. That's a bit like Vladimir Putin being shortlisted for the Nobel Peace Prize. You got no chance, mate. So, what have we got for you? On the menu tonight, the last American Arsenology with Isaiah. But he'll be branching out on his own with an AA podcast. And we will let you know where and when that is. In the meantime, he'll be casting a beady analytical eye over the Watford game, sieving out the positives and the key takeaways. I'm joined by Jay and Mitch in the gun room to talk about the clash with Watford. Who stood out? We'll talk about the incidents and all the talking points. We'll be delivering our six words or less verdict on the recent transfer rumours, wading through the emails. Um... Can you wade through three emails? (laughs) We'll be asking, are you still a real Arsenal fan if you don't go regularly to the games? And answering the question that we've been asked, Ozil or Kazola? There can be only one. I put that question out on the phenomenon known as social media. That's quite a mouthful, isn't it? Which stimulated some debate, but resulted in a landslide win for one of the duo. Who will Jay and Mitch go for? Find out later. There can be only one. That's going to get right on my nerves, Dave. I've got to be honest. There's more. Not more. Yeah, more. I can't help myself. Can you combine Bohemian Rhapsody and the names of 169 English football clubs? Don't be ridiculous. Is it just fantasy? Find out in our up-and-coming musical slot. Episode 46 is entitled Goals Are Plenty But A Bit Flippy Flappy At The Back. A reference to Arsenal's beautifully taken three goals but the odd lapse in defence against a plucky yet doomed Watford. 
Let's get up to speed on the outgoings. Marseille President Pablo Longoria has confirmed that Matteo Guendouzi will join the French side at the end of the season on a three-year deal. Stuttgart will sign Dinos Mavropanos in the summer, regardless of whether they are relegated or not. Shame he was never really given a chance, was he? Uh, Mohamed Elneny is said to be on his way out with a number of Turkish clubs interested. Only three appearances this season, all as a substitute. Incoming it's rumoured that Arsenal have put the feelers out for Frank Kessie who is expected to leave AC Milan when his contract runs out at the end of the season but there will be a stack of clubs going for him um, he would in my opinion for what it's worth improve Arsenal uh, by about 30% overnight other Arsenal news, former Arsenal shareholder Alicia Usmanov's ties with Everton are being cut in the form of sponsorship with signs at the ground and logos being removed from shirts. It's been revealed that Gabby Martinelli wants to stay at Arsenal for the rest of his career. The Brazilian, who won rave reviews from Jurgen Klopp, told ESPN in Brazil, We always want more. Of course Arsenal are a giant team. If I can, I'll stay there my whole life. Someone hand him a pen before he sobers up. Former Premier League referee Keith Hackett has urged Mikel Arteta to get a collection of the videos of all the red cards Arsenal have received this year and present them to the PGMOL officials when they come visiting the Gunners. Oh, that could be a long meeting and a spicy one as well. Could be weeks long. Other juicy bits, Ronaldinho seemed to suggest that uh, Barcelona took it easy on Arsenal in the defeat to Barcelona in the 2006 final of the Champions League. You may recall Jens Lehmann was sent off given his marching orders for bringing down Barca striker Samuel Eto'o. And that was after just 18 minutes. Sol Campbell gave Arsenal the lead. Eto'o brought them level 14 minutes from time before right back Balletti sent Barcelona in front. Shortly afterwards, Barca made the decision not to try and add to their lead so Belletti could say that he'd scored the winning goal in the Champions League final. I remember it slightly differently. I remember them being outplayed for long periods by the obligatory 10 men of Arsenal. OK, let's push it along and do some background on Watford. Claudio Ranieri's departure meant that Watford have sacked five head coaches since September 2019 and they've had 17 managers in just over 10 years. By contrast, former striker Troy Deeney, old no-neck himself, remained at the club for 12 years and Graham Taylor, who was once likened to a root vegetable, was appointed Watford Football Club manager in 1977 by Hornets chairman Elton John. He put in a 10-year stint before going to Aston Vanilla and England. Now you're lucky if you last longer than the canteen's milk. It makes the Chelsea post look like stable employment. Incidentally, the bookies reopened the next Premier League manager to leave stakes or the sack race as it's more commonly known following Roy Hodgson's arrival at Watford he'd only just taken his coat off and they were packing him off but old boy the weckless wascal managed to draw with Manchester United he's like the football equivalent of Dumbledore isn't he their inability to score at one end and keep them out at the other 
sees them firmly rooted in the bottom three. It's going to be a real struggle for them to get out. Arsenal hadn't lost to Watford since October 2017 and have since had five wins out of six with one draw. The head-to-head -head history and results, Watford have won 12, two draws, and Arsenal have won 19. One of the big stars living in Watford today is Naughty Boy. Who? Naughty boy, come on, getting down with the kids, I'm on it like a car bonnet. Despite working with the likes of musical heavyweights Emily Sande, Cheryl Cole, um, heavyweights, Lily Allen, Sam Smith, Naughty Boy still lives in West Watford with his parents. His first recording studio was actually in their shed. Less Naughty Boy, more of a mummy's boy. You're 41 and loaded. Get your own place. Before the last ever AA, did you see Kieran Tierney? <laughs> he took a punch in the face whilst on the floor, shrugged it off and then clashed with Watford's Colombian winger Hernandez before offering to meet him outside the stadium. The pair were separated, but the Scot made his feelings entirely clear. It's an Arsenal thing podcast. Fun, football and conversation. From the land that gave you popcorn, drive-ins, Johnny Mathis, and the legitimate right to shoot your neighbor for parking outside your house, direct from the U.S. of A., it's a potpourri of foosball analysis and stuff. It's American Arsenology. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to American Arsenology. Brought to you by Molly Adams's pillows. Can I fluff your pillows? I'm your host, Dr. Benjamin Sobel. And now, tonight's top stories. Welcome back, Migunas and Migunarets. Arsenal have defeated Watford 3-2-2 at Vicarage Road. It was an outstanding offensive performance from manager Mikel Arteta's young guns. So let's get right into it. The opening storyboard of this one features Spanish Michael squaring off with a 94-year-old Englishman, Mr. Turkey Necked himself, Roy Hodgson. Yes, the legend was at the helm of the Mooses of Watford, and it was up to the puffiest puffer coat, Mikel Arteta, to inflict more pain on Mr. Hodgson as he worked to keep Watford above the drop. Let's dive a little deeper. The rundown on the starting 11 feature number 32, Mr. Aaron Ramsdale in goal. With Gabriel Big Papa Magalish and Benjamin Dr. Ben Sobo White as the centre-back pairing. On the left, it was the once and future king, Mr. Kieran Tierney. And on the right, Cedric Rick Marinus Torres. It was the first choice double pivot of the Swiss captain, Granit Xhaka, and my octopus teacher, Mr. Thomas Party. 
The front four featured Gabriel Martinelli, Martin Udigard, and Pukayo Little Chili Stir Fry Saka. Up top, it was Alexander Baldwin Lacassette leading the line. And man, did the Pink Panther ever prance in this one. In a sign of Arsenal's apathetic defending on the day, Emmanuel Dennis put the ball past her in Ramsdale in the first fucking minute of play in this one. Thankfully, the exciting and young attacker was deemed to be offside, and rightfully so. However, Rick Moranis Saurez, Cedric Saurez, was very, very close to keeping him on. And folks, the back four did not shine in this one. But as the match progressed... It was the free-flowing fluidity of Arsenal on the ball that caught the eye. They were dressed in a candy cane, red short, red sock, and very red top on the day. It was a bizarre look, in some ways, for those of us who cherish the gun. <laughs> However, in just... The fifth minute of play, there was an outrageous bit of combination work between Little Chili Bukayo Saka and Martin Hudigard. It was a wall pass built of pure Norwegian wood. As the son of Thor did a little pirouette, returning the ball to Bukayo. Bukayo drove the line and returned a very incisive pass to the Norwegian captain. And while we all know that Udigard, perhaps, he does need to build out his finishing profile as a professional footballer, he made zero doubts about this fucking goal, man. It was a clean, cleanest of goal featuring technicality that one Arsene Wenger would have cherished and applauded. Was you learn your job at 23 years of age, 23, 24, you have a player. But until 23, we make up and down. But, folks, in the 11th minute of play, a response from the bees of Watford. As Arsenal's lack of cohesion and synergy on the left-hand side was exposed again. Yes, this lack of cohesion persists between Kieran Tierney, Lame Lame Granny Chaka and Gabriel Martinelli. There's something that is not quite coming off there. And while Emil Smith-Rowe will improve both Tierney and Chaka, I am not sure that is the solution. In my opinion, it is Granit Chaka, who does not belong playing in the more advanced number eight role. However, we will get to that. This was a fine response from Watford. As the overlapping outside back played in a peach of a cross, you will get no peach pass. And Chucho Hernandez, he 
through one hell of a fucking bicicleta. <laughs> it was a fine goal, disappointing defending on the service, but the finish, you tip your cap to. It's all there, black and white, clear as crystal. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. You bumped into the ceiling, which now has to be washed and sterilized, so you get nothing. In the 18th minute, there was an effort from Thomas' party. But he didn't catch it quite right, and not surprisingly, he missed again. We know the banger is coming. Be patient, my people. In the 25th minute, there was a free kick for Watford. But nothing was doing as Aaron Ramsdale gobbled it up like a Thanksgiving turkey. But Watford would probe, and they would create shots on target in this one. As even Aaron Ramsdale looked a bit unsure with his decision-making. And Arsenal's back four was not at its best, as has been mentioned. There was a bizarre wild-off effort from Granit Xhaka. Wide, 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 way-off target effort of a half-folly. Nothing was doing. It was 1-1. One, one. And Musa Sissoko, that dirty fucking spud, was shooting from distance, but nothing was doing. The game was delicately poised, with Arsenal's class in the attacking third, a true menace on the day. And my Gunners and my Gunnarets. In the 30th minute, little chilly Bukayo Saka would announce, announce, announce himself once again for the upteenth time. It was, his, it was his own work to win back the ball that created the move. He shrugged off a bitchy-ass, weak Watford player, won the ball shoulder-to-shoulder, shoulder, connected with the bald beard Pink Panther, and a nice little back-heel Alexander Lacazette pulled, pushed, dragged, and rolled a nice little ball into the path of soccer, who unleashed a finger-snapping motherfucking finish to the upper corner. The half was winding down and Bukayo Saka, little Neo. Well, folks, he was starting to believe again. What a season this young generational talent is having. As the first half came to its conclusion, this was 45 minutes that were all about Saka Saka Saka. came to its conclusion and as always there were two big big takeaways number one 
Arsenal's back five of Aaron Ramsdale, Cedric Saurez, Benjamin White, Gabriel Magalish, and Kieran Tierney lacked their usual watertight seal and cohesiveness at the back. And given Watford is one of the lowest scoring teams in the Premier League, it is of some concern. Moreover, given the nine days off between games, the lack of sharpness was alarming. While Ricky Cedric Maurenis Saurez has been performing admirably as of late, the reality is Arsenal gravely need Takahiro Tomiyasu back. We miss his 1v1 defending, the aerial prowess, and his incisive, crystal-clean technicality and two-footed passing. Surely, Tomiyasu will be a key factor in the final push for Champions League football as we take on some of the bigger teams in the league. Come back soon, won't you come back soon, Tommy boy? Number, number, number two. Granite, 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 granite chaka. Many in Arsenal world were quick to praise granite chaka after his performance in a more advanced role against Wolverhampton. And while I am always happy to give credit where credit is due, it is important to think a little deeper about this praise. Listen, in my eyes, it was the immense performance of Thomas Party that freed Shaka from the shackles of defending. It must be said it was Gabriel Martinelli who was dreadfully ineffective and sacrificed after 71 minutes due to the lack of synergy between him and Granit Xhaka. And on Sunday against Roy Hodgson's Watford, it felt like deja vu all over again. While I have always appreciated what Xhaka does well, he is no box-to-box box eight. Sorry, Arsene. And if a player like Emil Smith-Rowe or Albert Sampilokonga were given the chance, they could offer so much more when paired with Thomas Party. Don't believe me? Go back and rewatch Zombie's performance from the Newcastle United match on November 27, 2021. Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder, treason, and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. The second half began with the bang as a remarkable triangular triangulation 
between Martin Udegaard, Alexander Lacazette, and Brazilian wonder kid, Gabriela Martinelli. Well, folks, this was a thing of pure vengeness. A brilliant quicksilver coal. A third man interchange with the delightfulest of touch, the peachiest of peach passes. Peach pass. Martin Hootie Card. Alexander Lacazette played the way he faced, and Gabriel Martinelli stepped up for a first time half volley right into the cobweb zone of the old fucking onion bag. 3 1 Arsenal, and delightful passion shown from our Brazilian. Seventh minute, a poor pass from Heron Ramsdale gifted Watford possession. And it created a bit of mayhem for Arsenal. Heron Ramsdale's usually impeccable distribution was caught wanting. There was a bizarre miskicked effort from the Pink Panther in the 58th minute as he skied a shot that nearly went out for a fucking throw in. Keep to assisting my man. The game was progressing, and Arsenal were in control. However, they continued to look susceptible on the counter. Several changes were made, but none, none of them included Bukayo Saka as Mikel Arteta continued to drive our wonder kid in the ground in regards to minute played. 4,002. Uh, Mr. Burgundy. 4,003. Helen said that you needed to see me. Oh, Miss Corningstone. In the 80th minute, Eddie and Katia replaced the captain, Lacazette. And folks, in the 81st minute, it was Eddie and Katia doing a nice clean scissor and firing a cannon of a shot of the right-hand lower portion of Ben Foster's goal. It was a brilliant hit from the substitute and an instant impact in a game when overall he would be lifeless and limp. But folks, in the 87th minute, the emperor of coolness, Dr. Ben Sobel, Benjamin Benny Blanco White with a bit of a sad piece of defending. His former fucking Tottenham Sputnik, Musa Sissoko, would walk through a weak, weak sauce granite shaka and then equally do the business to Ben, 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 don't call me Ben, Ben, I mean White. As Mr. White's defending was not up to snuff. Who is this guy? What the fuck is he doing here? Who I am? Who I am? Who, who am I? Who am I is a question for the ages. That's one we're all searching for to find out who I am, who's in there, who wants to come out and go, hey, I'm hungry. It was a disturbing moment in some regards, given Watford's lack of fertility. It incensed the manager to no end and put unneeded pressure and a bit of a dull shine on the result. But... 
heart in the race for top four. It doesn't matter how you fucking get it done. And every three points is one step closer to the glory land. And as always, there were three whopping Big Whopper takeaways. Number, number one. Many in Arsenal world have been quick to embrace a sense of bipolarism. And are now slandering Gabriel Martinelli and Kieran Tierney. And although we would be remiss to ignore the lack of influence from Kieran Tierney in particular as of late, let us look at causality. The electric heel, Gabriel Martinelli, and the sleeveless cut Kieran Tierney, they are now playing in triangles with Krani Chaka. A player who we know can excel when facing forward. But while he does struggle mightily in combination play on the so-called half turn. With Arsenal moving between a 4-3-3 in possession and a 4-2-3-1 without the ball. Well, folks, it is critical, it is critical to understand that Emil Smith-Rowe could thrive if given the same license as Granit Xhaka in recent games. Yes, folks, with ESR playing as the number eight, both Martinelli and Tierney would be reanimated. Thanks to the Smith's incredible first step penetration on the dribble, his one-touch acumen, and that amazing ability to combine pass and move. Number number two. Against Watford. Arsenal were ahead 3-1 by the 52nd minute. Given just how good Bukayo Saka was on the day, you can empathize and understand why Spanish Michael was so keen to keep him on. But this has been par for the course with Saka this season. His manager rides him hard all game long. Even when we are seemingly comfortably ahead. Given Arsenal's lack of cut football this winter, one could dismiss suggestions that Saka needs a rest 
Given the extensive regeneration time between matches. Well, I am not having it. He is one of the biggest assets in world football. And the manager needs to look out for his long-term future at Arsenal. There was an opportunity to rest Saka for the final 30 minutes. Perhaps allowing Martinelli a chance to play up top. Minutes for Sambi, Nico Pepe, and Tohoretti and Ketia. I must say, I do harbor concerns that Mikel Arteta is running our wonder kid, little chili Bukayo Saka, into the ground unnecessarily at times. And finally, finally, it's happened to me. While I am not a fan of our filthy, disgusting owner of a man named Stan Kroenke, I am increasingly left to ponder when this hate for KSE may eventually transform into praise. When, if ever, <laughs> do the Cronkies and Josh in particular deserve credit for not only hiring, but sticking with Mikel Arteta for the past two seasons? I ask you, KSE have packed Mikel Arteta to the hilt. Through two eighth-place finishes, they backed him by spending big last summer. They've cancelled contracts with players who don't fit the team culture. In effect, paying players to leave our club. With the prospect of top four now more and more plausible, Tom... When is it time to stop protesting and start saluting the overlords at Arsenal Football Club? over the years. Ryan Shawcross, King of the Bastards, Roy Cruise Missile King, Racist Pond Scum John Terry, and of course, Troy No Neck Deeney. Who's on your list? Who makes your skin crawl? Well, the top three. The top three were Diego Costa, we still can't stand him, the thug. Roy Keane, never liked him. And in first place, Ryan Shawcross, King of the Bastards, the person we love to hate the most. Even though he's retired, we still hate him in his retirement. It's an Arsenal Thing podcast. Fun, football and conversation. It's which one is 
For chipping on town, Queen of Foot, Falkirk, Mockham, Dagenham, and Redbridge, Shepherd, Hamble, Hampstead, Harrow, and Lillian. It's my mother, it's my Gloucester, Western Superman York, Bristol Stop, wake up a little town York, Bristol We can be City, Bristol City, Manchester, Kipping, North Ferry, South Bell, Manchester, Town, Grimsby, Crawley, Manchester, 
It's time to enter the gun room for a natter. Hi, welcome to the gun room. I've got with me the usual posse. I've got um, Jay. Hello, Jay. You all right, mate? Yeah, not too bad, sir. And I've got Mitch. How are you, Mitch? I'm doing all right. What have you been up to? Anything much, guys? Uh, just going to the wrong airport in Milan. Nothing much. That's just one of those everyday things, isn't it? That you do. <laughs> just the usual right we've got a really busy menu uh loads of stuff on it let's start with transfer rumors in six words or less and we've got two and the first one is marcus rashford to arsenal mitch uh i don't hate it but uh, wages i hate it what about you jay uh hope it happens Oh, you like him? Mm. Yeah, I just uh, I just don't see what all the fuss is about, to be honest. I think he's, he's never really caught fire for me. I just think he's um, he's just at the wrong club at the minute. I think he'd fit into the squad perfectly. So, um, and I think he's he's talented, no doubt about it. And I think he's he could do a job for us, definitely. But like, like Mitch said, wages would be crazy. Solid yeah. player, great guy. Um, can play in a variety of positions. Uh, he would provide depth both on the left wing and and we we're having this big discussion about who can potentially be a backup striker if we don't like re-sign Lacazette or Nketiah. And yeah, maybe Rashford as like a, as an option that can both play off the left and play at striker. That would be a potentially interesting move if, if it came down to it with wages correctly, because he's making a lot more than the players that we're signing currently. I had two words for the Rashford one. It was April fool's. Because I, I just didn't think it had any legs. What about then uh, Rafina to uh, Arsenal from Leeds? I like it. That's better for me. I, I, I think that's a stronger one. What about you, Jay? 
Yeah, he's a good player. Yeah. Um, I'd prefer Rashford just personally, but he's a good player, no doubt. Uh, and he could definitely, another one who could definitely do a job for us. Um, looks to be sort of coming to the end of his time at Leeds, doesn't it? Like he's sort of outgrowing them. So, um, yeah, he'd be another good one. We'll touch on it later on, but um, it's going to be a real dogfight down there. It's getting really interesting at the top of the division and really interesting downstairs as well, isn't it? Sorry, Mitch. Off you go. Uh, really solid player and like particularly can play off the right, which is uh, we, we need we need depth for Bukhara Saka. I, I think we'll likely sell Pepe in the summer um, and we've, we've got to get someone who can play off the right to so that Saka is not playing every single match, especially when we're in Europe next season. So, um, yeah, I, I think it'd be a great timing. Uh, after an eternity, uh, what was it, nine days? It felt like about nine months, didn't it, that gap in between? Arsenal were back in action against Watford on that uh, greasy pole to the championship. Uh, we'll get to the goals in due course. Uh, Jay, what did you make of it? Um, it, was, it was a bit of a crazy sort of chaotic game, um, which we never really looked um totally in control of, did we? It was it was um they looked dangerous. Um I think more so because we had defensively we weren't great. We were taking quite a few risks, but our attacking play was just irresistible, wasn't it? It was just like um something else, wasn't it? Yeah, the, 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 I mean obviously we're gonna get onto the goals, but the the, the Erdegaard Saka sort of partnership is we've seen it so many times, haven't we? In the last, I would say, well, since the turn of the year, really, um, they've really started to click, and um, that partnership's looking so so fluid down that side. Um, and it, our goals were just irresistible. It was just so, so many good things, but you know, also things to improve on. So I think Mikel was right because he came out and said that you know he wasn't completely happy, which which was which was good coming from the manager because there were a few moments where I think we did switch off and certain players, um, you know, they, they obviously they can still improve. So uh, overall, the three points is just the main thing. It's where we are, isn't it? Where we are in the season, just getting those three points doesn't matter how. Um, and I mean, I can't wait to get onto the goals because they were just stunning, weren't they? There's going to be plenty to talk about. And uh, what a joy to come to a podcast where you've had that sort of feeling, you know, that you're you're on track, you're getting the goals, because we were wondering a couple of weeks ago where the goals were coming from. Mitch, were you happy with the overall performance? Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a fun match. Like to, if, you, if you were a, a neutral watching that game, you would have had a great time. Four of the five goals were absolutely beautiful. Uh, I think it was a really overall, I think it was a pretty solid performance by Arsenal. Uh, obviously, some moments of struggle. Uh, the end was a little bit too close to it uh, for my liking, or at least it looked like it might be uh, end up looking a little more down to the wire than it probably should have been. Um, I felt like we dominated a large, large port- portions of the match, um, came out a little sleepy uh, with getting scored on 15 seconds. Luckily, it was offsides. Uh, but I mean that, like Jay said, that right side, Saka and Odegaard are on another level right now. Um, like I, I wrote about it this week, uh, their understanding just seems to be telepathic at this point. Uh, these, these flicks and, and leaves and just so beautiful to watch. And it's just, it's just, it's, it's what makes you fall in love with the game. Like if, if someone, 
starts watching Arsenal right now, this is the kind of team that is going to make you fall in love with, with Arsenal uh, to watch players like Martin Odegaard and Bukayo Saka to watch these two become great and hopefully continue to make Arsenal great is just beautiful. It was quite um, quite weird you saying about that. Uh, the commentator on, I think it was BBC, said that it was reminiscent of the Wenger era. And it was because of the fluency, wasn't it? There was that, uh, that lightning speed, speed of thought, speed of touch. Uh, as you say, beautiful to watch. Um, not everyone seemed bothered about the result. There was more of a weird sort of vibe about the kit. I mean, I don't really care if they play in flippers as long as they get three points. What was all that about? Did anyone get to the bottom of it? What, why they changed the, the shorts? Yeah. Yeah, Just, I think it, I read yesterday it was, um, it was a commercial decision by the club. I think they were allowed to change. Um, I think the club released those shorts um, earlier in the season. Uh, only limited edition. No idea why um, they wanted the change. Maybe they're going to re-release them. I don't know. But... I think you looked pretty cool, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I was... like the look. Yeah, yeah. I like the, the, like the whole thing. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't particularly. I didn't dislike it as much as like the reaction's just been crazy, hasn't it? Like some of the, you know, some people go well over the top, but yeah. Well, I, no, I was no. running around the front room, getting excited, and uh, you know, looking at match reports and all that sort of thing. And then the next thing, everyone's worried about the kit. I'm like, yeah. um, Cedric seems to abandon his post a fair bit. I'm not going to have a massive moan, but uh, Tierney was trying to cover his side, uh, the right side. And last time out, Gabriel came unstuck trying to cover him. Um, is this evidence for you two guys that we need to upgrade uh, to cover Tommy Asu when he's out? I think we. I mean, we've 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 covered it at length, haven't we? Really, he's Cedric. I think he's okay for the odd game here or there, but it, he was he was careless in possession, wasn't he? He, he gave the ball away on a number of occasions. He's not a terrible player. Um, and like I, I think we can all agree that he can come in and he can do a decent job occasionally, but um, he's certainly not going to, he's, he, he, he's certainly not on the level of Tommy Asu and um, we can get away with it against Watford. You know, we've got some real big games coming up and you, you live in hope that Arteta has been just holding Tommy Asu back a little bit, you know, and because we're going to need him because Cedric, for all of his effort and you know his deliveries are quite decent technically you know you see flashes of you know he's not too bad but then two minutes later he's trying to roll he can't even make a five-yard pass a simple five-yard pass which which at, at the level we're trying to reach that's just not enough is it so uh I think we definitely will be looking at an upgrade there, but it's difficult to try and sell that position when you've got somebody as strong as Tommy Asu there now, who's, who's already established himself. Um, so whether we go for somebody a bit younger or or just stick with Cedric, you just hope that Tommy Asu doesn't get injured. Yeah, Again. I just I just mentioned it because he'd had a couple of good games, but when you see little bits where he's abandoned his post, you kind of think, yeah, there is a problem there. He's done well with very limited skills, but you know, I think do think we need to upgrade. Uh, Gabriel got caught a couple of times and White got caught for the second goal, their second goal. How do you feel that the defence held up? It was a bit flip, flippy floppy, wasn't it, Mitch? Yeah, uh, not the greatest game from, from Gabriel and, uh, and Ramsdale. I think they were a little jittery. 
uh, I think Ben White played a really good match up until that Sissoko goal at the very end. Uh, up until that point, he was he was a, a man of the match contender for me. He was really, really good. Uh, Gabrielle has been a little bit skittish recently. Uh, I don't think this is a really huge issue. I think it's just uh, his, his way of playing is a little bit uh, out there at times. Uh, I, I don't think it's anything, any long-term worries. Um, obviously, it didn't cost us. We still won the match. Uh, and then same with Ramsdale, a little rougher on the edges uh, against Watford. But, I, again, I don't think it's Mitch, anything do you think it's the, uh, the amount of time, the gap in between games that's affecting us? And I'll put that out to Jay as well. Is it, the, is it um, those layoffs? I don't think so. I think rest is important. I, I think it's it's not like we're – it's not like we're waiting like two weeks in between matches. It, it's like we had a little bit over a week after the, this last match, and it's going to start coming in a little bit faster uh, as we as we ramp up towards the end of the season. The Spurs and Chelsea matches still haven't even been scheduled, so the fixtures will be getting closer together. The players have to take advantage of the rest that they're getting, um, and I, I don't think that has anything to do with it. I think they're still they're, they're still training, they're still warm. Yeah, I think it's just just some just some jitters. Still young players. You know, nothing crazy to worry about. Uh, we conceded early doors, Dennis, wasn't it? Um, but it was offside. But it was an indication of the appetite of Watford and that they were going to knock on the door. Um, I think they quite surprised me. Uh, they were, We were pretty easy to get behind, weren't we, uh, when they went forward? Jay, uh, how could we have eliminated that? Could we have, uh, you know, because we, we had part, um, party behind... Odegaard, didn't we? Kind of sitting there, um, pushing, hoping to push forward. So it left that gap of protection because Xhaka was uh, quite high up as well, wasn't he? Yeah, I think he, he's. Um, Arteta wants him to play, play a little bit more further forward, doesn't he? And he, and he wants Party to be that sort of more deep line. I think. I mean, Mitch, Mitch was dead right. You know, there were a few jittery moments, and, and they started well. But I think there were moments as well where. It was encouraging that we were trying to pass out from the back, you know, in certain situations where maybe previous Arsenal defences would have just knocked it long or put it out for a throw in or whatever, just got rid of it. We did. We were passing and we were passing nice, nicely, you know, crisp passing in and around in certain areas, like I said, that you wouldn't normally do that. So that's encouraging because they're confident, you know, even even though Watford started well and, you know, they had a couple of sort of the. Their, their forward players are a bit of a handful, aren't they? They move well and, and they're quick. Uh, maybe not the best players in the world, but they, they cause you problems just by sort of pre- high pressing. And, and 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 it was a the atmosphere was 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 quite uh, you know quite good, wasn't it? In the in the stadium, um, but I can't. I, I just want to reiterate what what Mitch said. Really, it was just just a few. Isn't it, we're still working, aren't we? We're still progressing we're still looking to improve we're not definitely certainly not the finished article so certain mistakes will happen um I just think Tommy Asu again just going back to him he you know he's 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 such a key member of that defense that once he comes back hopefully we'll see a lot that 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 more solid back four as you know that we saw um you know when he was when he was playing well before Christmas so I'm hoping that he makes a huge difference when he comes back what were, Watford's players were quite bulky as well, weren't they? Quite physical as well. So that was another thing to handle. But I think we did quite well with that because normally when people are, uh, teams are quite physical, we kind of drop off a little bit or lose momentum, but we did quite well there. Right, let's, let's get to those goals. Can't wait. Um, 
Jay, walk us through the Odegaard goal uh, after five minutes. Yeah, so um, Saka, um, the ball was out right. Saka was right on the touchline, and he and he um, he played it inside to to Odegaard, who um, produced. I mean, every time you see it, it was it's that, just, wasn't it? Wow. I mean, how you don't see that very often. You I mean you see back heels all the time, but you don't see back heels where he'd let the ball run across his body and he was, and it, it, it was his right foot, wasn't it? And it, you don't see that very often. And it's, it's hard to describe or, or use a certain word to describe it because it's almost as if, like you a know, let pass. Yeah, yeah. Other players <laughs> that, that happens to other players and they don't mean it, but he was fully aware of what he was doing and he was um, fully in control. And I mean, how he managed to, play the ball perfectly into Bukayo Saka's path. Saka didn't even have to break stride. And I mean, I, th- I thought Saka, especially in the first half, was just unreal. His, 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 his pace and he's so direct and his, um, his technical ability to just take players on, you know. And, he, and anyway, so Saka attacked the box. After this ridiculous back heel, Erdegaard speeds away, follows... Um, follows Saka into the box and Saka produces a perfect cutback. And I mean, it's not even a shot that Erdegaard does, is it? He lets, he just lets the ball hit, you know, he takes control, lets the ball just, it sort of caresses it into the bottom corner. Um, I mean, I don't know about you, but you knew it was a goal, didn't you? You know, you, you didn't think for one second he was going to miss and, it, and he rolled it in. And, and that's what Erdegaard is, isn't he? He's, um, he, he's, he's the closest thing we've got to, Prime Mesut, you know, he was like an he's not like an artist out there, and uh, such a class player, and he's coming into his own now. Um, and that goal, I mean, there's going to be so many more of them. Hopefully, fingers crossed, as the season goes on. And uh, lovely, I mean, it was a, the kind of goal where you you just you're clapping the whole thing, aren't you? Like, oh my god, oh my days, what? and then you're like, oh, that's just amazing, you know. So I've probably you know, watched that about yeah. twenty five times. And yeah, I'm stilling up. You know that little back pass, that little sort of clip back. It, it was absolutely delicious, like and unbelievable. And you just wonder, I mean, if that was me and I managed to pull that off, just getting it back to Saka, I'd be happy. But in a split like, second, he's off. Like Mitch said, that that is football. That's that's what we all love. And, and when your team does that, you know, and, and Thierry Henry used to do that and Denny, and, and that, you know, the comparisons, they're right to compare the team to, to, to the Wenger side. But this is a team that's just growing into that. And uh, I mean... You could watch that goal all day. You could watch all three all day, but that goal for me, oh, just just lovely. Just I'll lovely. let you into a secret. I've watched it about eight times just today. <laughs> <laughs> back again, back again. Um, right, they equalised uh, from an acrobatic uh, effort from Hernandez after 11 minutes. Kieran Tierney's mate, we'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, and then we took the lead back via Saka on the half hour. Mitch. Don't leave anything out. Give us the full lowdown. Let us let us wallow in it like we're in a bath of glory. Uh, I mean, just a just an absolute great great goal. I mean, uh, Saka uh, Gabriel hits a ball to Saka. It's a little bit short. Uh, Saka steps in front of the ball, uh, in front of the man, wins the ball back, uh, hits Lacazette, who who just flicks it off uh, to him, just like he did on Martinelli's goal later. A uh, really, really nice match from Lacazette. Uh, and then Saka just drills it 
in, into the into the net. And and all three of Arsenal's goals today, or uh, sorry, against Watford, were just just beautiful. Like they're they're the kind of goals where you just like start giggling. Uh, you just like get giddy after watching your team do that, do something that cool. You're <laughs> yeah. like, uh, like Martinelli's goal against Newcastle is like, is one of those goals that made, made me like giddy this season yeah. where I'm just like, Oh my God, I can't believe I just watched that happen. That is so, Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. It's <laughs> just such a bust. Goals doesn't it? are like that. Every single one. Uh, like even, even Watford's equalizer at one, one is like, we, I mean, you can't complain about that. Well done. Like, you can't do anything about that. You can't do anything, can't do anything about, about that. No. F- fair enough. All right. Well, let's go get another one. Let's go get another two. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, I mean, just just some gorgeous, gorgeous goals from Arsenal. And you you love watching that. It's great. great. I'll take any Arsenal goal. It can be as ugly as Smith Rose against Man United, or it can be as beautiful as Martinelli's against Newcastle. I, I will take any Arsenal goal, but oh, a beautiful Arsenal goal just makes you giddy. It's just just the best. The way the way that Saka, like, he, where he took the shot on and just thrashed it. You know, you so I mean, different types of goals, aren't they? But you know, he he proper put his th- foot through it, and it's like, oh, come on, just beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Jay, I wanted to say uh, it was interesting that you mentioned that Aston had said about Saka looking stronger. Because mm. I think this performance really did highlight that. Yeah. He looked physically stronger. He was able to brush people off and run past with ease. And did you notice, on occasion, there were four players assigned to him, and he yeah. still gave them the slip. It was amazing. But I thought I mentioned that because it yeah. was spot on. Yeah, we were watching the game again um, together. And, uh, I mean, Saka was loving it. Wasn't he? He was just he was just having a great. He, he's he's full of confidence, and that finish just shows that he's just so full of confidence because, you know, the way he just took it first time. And like Mitch said, you have got to give Lacazette credit because it was the perfect layoff. It, again, Lacazette uh, uh, um, Saka didn't have to do anything with the ball, did he? Just apart from just put it in that top corner. Beautiful, beautiful. Saka has just been on another level. I, I, I think that. Uh, I think the Euros miss uh, may have actually just been such a big like help for him, uh, which it's crazy for that to be a help for a 20 year old. There's so easily could have been, uh, he misses that he gets the amount of terrible, terrible abuse that he gets. And then he's just not the same player. He's just, his confidence shattered, whatever. No, he's just come out with a vengeance and is lighting the league on fire. And we- Come out just, here with his best season of his career, and absolutely the top four. Absolutely, and you, you're dead right. And you look at the other two players you missed in that shootout, Rashford and Sancho, who are at a different club. They're at the same club, and they are the polar opposites of Saka. I know Sancho scored against City, but you know the the, um, the environment that Arteta's created. You know that uh, the squad being very like minded. You. you you have to say there's a certain element of that that's helped Saka, right? And it, that's helped him and that's let him not um, fall into the same sort of areas that Sancho and Rashford have. And and and, they've, and he's just gone on and he's kicked on and he's just, he's, I mean, there's not many teams he wouldn't get into now, even City, even, you know, you, you rival even get, yeah. you know, you might even say get into Liverpool because he's, he's, he's just the second elect- best right winger in the league. He's absolutely uh, behind right. Salah and he's 20 years old. Uh, mm-hmm. we need to sign him to an a thousand year contract right now. 
um, like, please. Uh, we, we I think in like... the summer, we're going to see that, aren't we? I think in the summer, there's going to be like an extension and it's going to I be... I absolutely think we're, Arsenal is actively trying to resign, uh, yeah. to sign to an extension without a doubt. Uh, and and as they should, uh, he's phenomenal. Just so, so good. It's interesting, Mitch, that you said that about that penalty miss because uh, Wenger came out this week at some point. I don't know what paper it was, but he said he thought it would be the best thing ever happened to him because it, it, he would learn from that. He'd take that failure on board and make it into a success eventually. And we're starting to see the fruits of the intensive coaching that Arteta can put into one particular player but it seems like it's filtering across the entire team um so let's let's peel off that a minute we'll talk about that um that partnership between Odegaard and Saka as well because I think that's worth scratching the surface on uh Martinelli puts us in the driving seat on 52 minutes with a spectacular goal um walk us through that Jay um so the ball goes out for a throw in and um Mikel jogs over, picks the ball up, um, passes the ball to um, to, to Piqueo and, and, and they get the uh, it's, they take a quick throw, right? But I know there's been there's been a lot of um, what would you say? Not criticism, but there's been certain people have come out and said that you know Arteta was wrong to to pick up the ball and throw. But I mean, come on, nobody made a complaint at the time, did they? Not one person on the, you know, from the uh, Watford box or anybody, or Watford um, bench, nobody complained at the time. So let's just put that to bed straight away. Nothing wrong there. They'd have done the same thing if the ball was next to... I mean, well, Hodgson said it was Hodgson, a good move. So. Right. I mean, Hodgson probably won't be able to move as quick as Mikel did. But <laughs> he, he, t- yeah, so we, we, we took the throw... Um, he'd still be picking it up now <laughs> <laughs> we broke down the right hand side the ball came into the box and I mean what what a flick from Erdegaard you know just straight into Lacazette Lacazette lays it off and 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 like you said Tom what a finish from Martinelli I mean Ben Foster's no, no you know he's certainly not the worst goalkeeper in the league and on or any of those goals he was nowhere near them was he there was so just an emphatic finish and then, you know, Martinelli, he's such an explosive player and he's got that in his locker. And, you know, Mitch mentioned the Newcastle, but he's, he's, he's such a, he's becoming a lot more rounded now, isn't he? He's not just that, he's not just that sort of sort, super sober, explosive striker. He's a lot more rounded. He's got a finish like that in his locker now and then running off to the to the away support. Brilliant scenes. And again, another goal where you, <laughs> you, you, we haven't seen that that often, have we? And it, you're like... Oh my days! What am I watching here? So yeah, brilliant. You love. Well, to see it, it. it was kind of like you got a really good goal, and you were excited about that, and you were you're still buzzing about it. You know, raving inside about how good that goal was, and then another good goal. And yeah, you, think, you love. Oh, like it's Christmas. It's all mm-hmm. come through, and then you get another one, and you're like, yeah. for God's sake, what's going on? But it's interesting that that goal against Newcastle, Mitch uh, Martinelli's got to the stage now where he doesn't do crap goals, does he? He, oh no! Every single goal he scores is beautiful. I love any Martinelli goal because it's always just the greatest thing you've ever seen. His goal against Chelsea a couple of years ago is yeah. phenomenal oh, yeah. and famous. Uh, his one against Newcastle this year was fantastic. His brace against Leeds was so good. He's just a phenomenal player. And once he he gains that consistency, oh oh, it's over. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> well, he's another one, isn't he? He's got very powerful looking as well. He's obviously been in the gym from when we first got him and he, he can brush people off now as well. 
But as you say, he's, I think he's tentatively trying to find that uh, he comes in off the left, but he's trying to kind of incorporate that Thierry Henry roaming uh, position, isn't he? Because he does yeah. drift. I think uh, I think his his greatest strength coming off the left is in that uh, half space on the left hand side uh, where he plays kind of an inside forward position. Uh, since our switch to the four three three and Jaka playing in a higher role, I think I, our right side's been so phenomenal it makes our it makes made our left side look a little bad. Um, and so like Tierney's not been as good since we've been to switch, and Jaka has had his moments here or there, and like Martinelli, I think. It, all, all three of them are adapting to very different and new roles. Uh, Tierney is being forced to be a little more reserved in his positioning, uh, staying back a little more, and Jaka is uh, being asked to uh, be further forward and have more of an impact on our attacking third. And Martinelli is uh, taking up more space on the wider areas rather than the inside areas where he can get into the box, get in those positions and score. Uh, and I, I think it's just going to be a little bit of a learning period for all three of those players or anyone who's playing off the left-hand side right now because it's just kind of a uncharted territory for a lot of them. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they grow in that. Uh, I think we saw a little bit of the growing pains, pains against Watford. Uh, and for a couple of them, we've seen them for weeks now since we've since we've made this shift into the new system. Uh, but I think the system is, is going to be really, really good long-term uh tyranny's gonna be fine he's gonna adapt this he's a good enough defensive left back where he's gonna be okay he still has enough of a play um offensively and it's not uh as predictable anymore where it's a little bit more uh the left winger doesn't really or the right winger for the other team doesn't really know what tyranny's gonna do is he gonna hang back is he gonna bomb forward it makes him a little more unpredictable than kind of the one trick pony he's been for the last couple of years uh, once he gets that role right, he's going to be really good, just as he was in his uh, his former role. Uh, and then Jaka is, uh, I, I think he's limited physically in what he can do um, technically in the final third. Uh, ultimately, we'll be we'll be uh, replacing him. I, I think in the summer, I think that's that's pretty obvious obvious to a lot of fans uh, with someone with a little more technical quality uh, in that role. But I think for what he for what Granit Xhaka possess, possesses, he's done a really good job, and we're way better when Granit Xhaka plays. When Xhaka and Party are playing together, uh, no matter what role that they're in, we're way better. We're way more secure. We're 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 head and shoulders a better team. We, this season, we've lost two games in which they've played, uh, and it was the Man City game, and it was uh, the Everton game. The Everton game was the first game back that from Xhaka. Yeah, uh, to mention that the injury. Game, you? Um, yeah. And then the Man City game was uh, questionable, to say the least. Uh, we played a really good game up until um, a third party got involved with the final outcome. Uh, and I, I, I don't think there's going to be any issues long-term with those three on the left-hand side. Uh, Martinelli, once he starts getting more comfortable on the out wide and, and just finding those pockets inside, like he did on the goal, he came kind of almost across to the right. Um, so once he's, once he gets a little bit more skill in finding those pockets to pop up in and, and find those goals, oh, he's going to go to another level. I'll tell you what I did, uh, enjoy is that, um, kind of Martinelli replacing Aubameyang on that side has really, um, kind of added something different because I felt for a long time, and I said to you, didn't I, Jay, that Aubameyang, and I'm going to get slated for this, but Aubameyang had become a bit of a one trick pony kind of hanging out really wide and then doing that diagonal cutting. 
Martinelli, you just don't know what he's going to get up to. And, and that gives us something fresh to look forward to, doesn't it, as a threat? Yeah, it definitely does. Um, I think part of the... Uh, just, I just wanted to add to what Mitch said on, about on that left-hand side. You know, Tierney may be not... Um, he's not... <sighs> He's not putting in those eye-catching performances, but I think part of the reason why Martinelli's shining so much is, is because he has that confidence that he's got a solid left-back behind him. You know, I think he knows that he can take these risks and he can drift into those positions and he can get ahead of Lacazette and find those gaps because he knows that he's got a, a really, really superb left-sided left-sided defender you know I mean I'm, I'm still a huge fan of his he might not be bombing up and down that wing getting to the byline and crossing it back or attacking as much as he was but maybe that's not so much of a bad thing when you've got Martinelli who who without a doubt is is, is, is taking massive strides forward this season um, and I think it's more to do with you know a little a slightly more rigid back a rigid approach from 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 Tierney um, is mainly due, mainly due to Cedric on the other side, you know, rather than uh, than any other real issue for me. But uh, yeah, I mean, you just he's another player. That, all of the attackers at the moment they're just they're full of confidence, aren't they? And it's just it's lovely to see. Love it. Um, it was a nervy ending, wasn't it, with Sissoko getting that goal? It was a bit of a scrappy goal, and that really put us on the back foot for a little period of time. But uh, we saw the game out. Um, let's talk more about um, the Odegaard-Saka partnership. I mean, is this one of those things that is a happy accident? You know, it just comes through working together in training, or it's something that you think that uh, Mikko Arteta has, has kind of focused on and thought, hey, this is the key. This is the one that unlocks the door. What did you call it, um, Mitch? What was it? Something about a straw? A straw that stirs the drink, uh, Martin yeah. Odegaard. Um, I love that. I, I, I have to imagine that. Uh, I have to imagine that Arteta has identified this, and and it has to have played a strong role into this switch, into this new role of Odegaard playing the the right eight instead of as that drifting ten. Uh, he often drifted right as it was. Um, like before we switched to a four-three-three when we were in that four-two-three-one that we played since Smith Rose introduction last Christmas. Um, uh, Odegaard, when he would play the ten, would often drift into that that right half space anyway, um, and the left winger would often drift in that left half space and Tierney up uh, left wide. So we'd have that the same attacking structure of the like two-three-five. Uh, or the three two five, or however you want to put it, uh, and now it's just kind of a change in role, uh, especially with that left side. And uh, I have to imagine that uh, that was identified that like Odegaard and Saka, like they've they've got this this kind of connection, whether it was in training or whatever, or or uh, Arteta identified as him as this is going to be his role. He's going to be really good at this, and Saka already was locking down the right wing, and they've just formed this connection. Um, whatever it is, it's working and it's working really well. And if we could get something similar on the left-hand side, whether that with uh, a new person to come in at that left, uh, that left eight position, or, uh, I have even heard it talked about. We've we've seen a couple times of Odegaard and Smith Rowe playing as pairs of eights before. I think it's an interesting idea that hasn't really worked that nicely when we've seen it, 
just because of the lack of defensive responsibility that, that that's been taken out of it. Uh, I don't think party uh, has necessarily been, uh, I think he's been a really solid six, but I think he's better with the help that Jaka provides by, by kind of being that more balanced midfielder. Uh, I, I don't think he's at the level of like Fabinho or, or Rodri are where he can, they can totally afford to have two very attacking eights. Uh, like Man City setup is Rodri as that, as that six in the base of defense. And then uh, Bernardo and KDB as those two eights. And then you have these, these five city attackers coming for you, uh, coming, coming at you of, of Mares, uh, Bernardo Foden, Kevin De Bruyne and, and Jack Grealish. And if you're Manchester United, how are you going to deal with that? Like you, you can't, and, it, and it's just as scary if you look at it uh, of an idealized Arsenal team of, of Saka, Odegaard, uh, whoever we bring in at striker, Smith Rowe and Martinelli as an attacking five coming at you. There's so much that you can do with that. I'm salivating thinking about that. If we could, if we could, if, if, if party is able to take that step as a six, that can hold back uh, with, with those uh, five going forward. Or if uh, we were to sign a six in the summer, I, I have no idea what the, what the long-term plan is there, but uh whatever we decide to do with that left eight position, if we could replicate what Saka and Odegaard have on the right side, because again, they seem telepathic at this point. Uh, just this technical quality is just gorgeous between the two. Uh, if we could have any sense of replication on the left-hand side, oh, we would be absolutely cooking with gas. I think that's the thing, isn't it, Jay, that we don't want to become too dependent on those two players to create all the, all the chances for us. There is that gap. Um, Arsenal have had these partnerships form in the past, haven't they? Bergkamp and Henri, people like that. Uh, you can include Perez in that. Anyone with plus Bergkamp, couldn't you? And uh, it's going to be interesting to see these two. How good could these two be, Jay? Well, <laughs> this, the sky's the limit, isn't it? You know, they you, you like to think that Odegaard was brought in. So exciting, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, Odegaard was brought in by Arteta with this in mind to be able to strike up these partnerships. You know, Odegaard's a, he's an intelligent player, isn't he? he, he, he he's he's going to be the captain most probably, and he probably should be because he's he, he's such a the influence that he has on the team is so, so huge now. Uh, I, I, it's probably the question that you asked Mitch, is it, a, uh, it's probably a combination of both. It's probably, it worked well in training. And then Arteta is, he also had a, you know, part of the master plan or the process or whatever you want to call it. It was, you know, he was brought in for that. So um, I, I mean, Odegaard, he's played for a number of different clubs, hasn't he? Well, whilst at Real Madrid, uh, never hasn't really settled, couldn't really break into the Real Madrid team. We got him for an absolute snip. Um, and he looks happy. And as long as we can match a player of his abilities, um, sort of aspirations, you know, going forward, same with Saka, you know, but I think it's a little bit different with Saka because he's an Arsenal boy, isn't he? It's going to take something quite, it's going to take a massive breakdown, catastrophic breakdown for, for him to leave. You know, I, I think, I don't think he's, he's, I, we're going to pay him well. He's already being paid well, but he's going to get a really, really big contract, hopefully in the summer. It's going to take a massive, massive breakdown somewhere for him to leave. Whereas, you know, Erdegaard, I think as long as he's happy and the club are moving forward, I think he's, again, he, he's the type of player that you build around. You put, a, I mean, imagine a, 
what it's going to be like when we have that striker who's a little bit more mobile, who's running off the back, the, the two central defenders, finding the two space, finding the spaces. Um, uh, you know, because Lacazette's, you know, he's great, bless him, and he's, he's, his assists are going through the roof at the minute, um, but he still doesn't carry much of a goal threat, does he? And if we've got, if we've got that extra, you know, if we've got like a, an equivalent of Saka, but in a centre forward position, you know, uh, I think we're going to see, and uh, he's going to go up another few levels. Erdegaard, I'm going to see a few different sort of um, parts of his game. Uh, so, I mean, he's, he's scoring as well, isn't he, Erdegaard? You know, he, he, he's getting on the score sheet now. Um, and last season and parts of this season, we just weren't scoring goals at all, um, let alone really from midfield. So. Uh, yeah, they both they can be club club legends, um, and they're at the right they're in the right place, aren't they? This is this team's moving forward. It's progressing. You know, you look at Man, Man United. You know, they're just going backwards and they're stagnating, aren't they? And this team, you can tell, is growing and in confidence and stature, and um, it's exciting. The, the thing the with Saka, Sorry, Mitch. The thing with Saka and Emil Smith Rowe, uh, the, the young academy players, is they've been there for such a long time already, you know, and they've got that emotional connection. Odegaard just needed to be appreciated and loved. And I think and he'll find he's got that, hasn't he? Yeah, and trusted. And Mikel, you, you, I think, um, I think Mikel's come out and said, hasn't he, that Odegaard is, is the perfect footballer, you know, and he, he's the. Um, he doesn't come across as being selfish at all, does he? He doesn't come across like he's got an ego or he's very, he's very team orientated. He, he, he quickly bought into the Arteta's high press and, you know, off the ball, he was, he's very, very energetic and um, he's a delight. And I tell you, he's, he was good last season. We saw flashes, didn't we? But this season he has gone on to another level and it's, 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 it's good that not many people are talking about him. It's good that not many people are talking about Arsenal. You know, the media are just leaving us alone, and it's good because um, we, if 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 Erdegaard and the club can stay under the radar and just keep ticking off the getting these wins, and um, that's the best thing for for this young side. Come on, Mitch, get your feet wet. What these two must excite the hell out of you? Get, you know, let's oh, let's have a bit. Yeah, from you. let's they... let's just crank it up like Lacazette does. <laughs> uh, I mean, Saka is. Uh, just on another level, potentially world-class player in the making. And and same with Martin Odegaard. I mean, he was touted as that when he was 16 inside for Real Madrid. And the fact that we might be reaping the benefits of that is just beyond exciting. He's been one of the most talked about young players in the world for uh, how long now? Like for, for eight years uh, since he was like scoring bangers in Norway when he was 15. Um, and so it, it's really, really cool. I, I, I've been like giddy about, uh, Martin Odegaard as an Arsenal player since like last January when we were potentially going to sign him on loan, like shit, Martin Odegaard, really? Like, that's amazing. And then we got him in the summer. I was excited. And now he's hitting heights that this season that I didn't think he was going to hit. Um, and we totally, uh, can see, uh, uh that he, he could very much hit what what was touted for him when he was 15 years old uh and was and was signed by the biggest club in the world uh and the fact that we 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 get to be the team to reap that benefit is phenomenal uh he 
I, I, I as soon as he, he, he we're, we're starting to see some goals for goals from him, but he's still got like that little bit of phobia of, of shooting. He like there was a play late in the match where he he had a, a shot and he yeah. laid it out to lock his head and it didn't come up, come to anything. He takes a shot there. He gets another goal. Uh, and and like the part of the things that made him exciting and special when he was 15 in, in Norway was he was hitting shots from from outside the 18 and uh, and hitting these top ends and like, oh, my God, this kid's going to be the greatest. And now he's not doing those things that are exciting and he's still uh, becoming a world beater is just phenomenal. If he could get some of those qualities back now, I'm I'm very uh I'm very, I criticize Thomas Party often for shooting outside the 18. So I don't really want Odegaard to just make a habit of doing that like Thomas does, uh, because it's not my favorite thing that happens during Arsenal games. I am tired of Thomas Party taking shots. Uh, but Martin Odegaard and Saka are beyond special. And I'm so excited to watch them keep and keep, keep going. They are phenomenal. And I anticipate that to continue. I had uh, an interesting conversation with a guy called Nigel in South Africa because I was going on about Odegaard, as I usually do. Why why stop? You know, and uh, he said he didn't see it. And all of a sudden, over the last couple of games, he started to see it. And he was like, oh, my God, why couldn't I see it? And it is one of those. You have to pay attention to it. And I said to him about that old trick of just rerunning the game, but just watching one player. And Odegaard, I did that ages ago. I think you can... I think you can apply that to to last season as well. I think if you went back and watched those games without the, um, you know, we watch matches now and, and um, there's, a, there's a general feeling about the team, right? So, so you have your own view of the team and then you have the, the general sort of social media view of the team and the manager. And for large periods of last season after Odegaard signed, you know, there were, there were highs, there were lows, but, you were sort you sort of you, you're a bit um clouded right on how you view team how you view players and i think if you went back and watched a lot of the performances of the team that included Erdegaard last season i think you would see that quality still i think it's just more back then you know you know you think of you know performances that that, that, that spring to mind the 4-4 you know, versus west ham was yeah. that was well, the i knew for Odegaard. or well, when he came on, when we played Crystal Palace and he came on and he supplied the cross for Martinelli at the back post and we, we ended up nicking a winner at the end. But there were also performances like, um, you know, going out of your, the Europa League, you know, and there were, there were other performances that the team didn't play particularly well. Um, and I think that clouded a lot of people's views on Martinelli, uh, on um, Erdegaard. Uh, and I think if you went back and watched it now, I think you'd see just, I mean... Every, anybody that knew anything about football knew we were getting an unbelievable player for very little money, you know, because if he, you know, imagine if he stays at the club for hopefully fingers crossed, he's at the club for another five, six more so years, you know, and, and for 30 million, it's, it's nothing, is it? You know, absolutely nothing. Uh, the thing with both him and Saka is that they are, they're both players that are really, really good behind the scenes. Like, if you just look at a stat sheet, sometimes you you're like, okay, I don't know if Saka and Odegaard played that well because uh, I think we're starting to see it pick up a little bit more this season. But they're not huge goals and assists players. Uh, it's it's just the pure impact that they're able to have on a game uh, without having that that final 
second or or final ball. Uh, and now that we're getting those, it's even more people are waking up and more people are seeing the greatness of these two. Like Arsenal fans have known for a long time how just how good Bukayo Saka is. We've known how good he was since he was playing as a left wing back. And now he's quickly becoming one of the best right wings in the league. Um, and uh, and then Martin Odegaard is just a beyond special player of just how he dictates the flow of the game even if he doesn't get an assist, even if he doesn't get a goal, he, he flicks it across to Lacazette who lays it off for Martinelli to score. It, it's just the impact he has over the game without it showing up on a set seat. And I'm, I'm someone who loves statistics. I love uh, expected goals. Uh, I think it's a really valuable tool, but there's some players that just are above it that, that uh, are able to have so much impact without showing up there. Mm-hmm. And to be able to identify that the way that Arsenal has, has been tremendous. Um, I'll tell you something before we uh, we pick our man of the match. Um, what he also reminds me of as well is Liam Brady. It won't mean much to either of you, I don't suppose, but Liam Brady in his heyday, he was busy in every department. It seemed to be everything went through him. He was uh, everywhere the ball was, and that was a very Brady thing to do. And Odegaard's got that thing. I noticed so much of the work. He was back uh, defending. He went forward. He was in midfield again. Then he was up in the in the attack, uh, trying to help out there. And that work rate is phenomenal. Uh, you get all that as well. You get the class, the skill, uh, all that vision, and then you got that work rate. Let's do the circle, Jay. Um, who was your man of the match? First off, Saka was immense, um, but I think overall, I thought Erdegaard was just—he was just just too good. He, the influence that he had on the the, the entire game—he was just involved in everything, wasn't he? Everything good he was involved in. So yeah, I'd go with go with Erdegaard. Mitch, uh, I've said this before. It's always a great game when when it's hard to choose who the man of the match is. Uh, there's a there's a lot of really really good calls. I, even like Ben White before the goal, I think was a solid guess. But when anytime you score three goals in the game, a center back's never going to get man of the match unless he scores all three of those. Uh, and uh, Lacazette was fantastic with his two assists. Uh, but it's got to be one of the other of soccer and Odegaard. They were just on another level. Uh, I I go either way at any moment, but it, it, it's got to be Martin Odegaard for me. Like just like Jay said, just just dictated the whole game. It was it was him. Just everything. Uh, phenomenal performance. I think Sky picked, uh, Sky picked out Saka as their man of the match, but I'd go Odegaard as well, just because without him, you don't get that that beginning and end product. You know, it, it was sensational. Um, let's do some stats uh, on Bakayo Saka. 67 touches, four in the opposition box, 36 uh, out of 43 passes completed, two chances created, Fifth Premier League assist this season, uh, one shot um, involved in nine goals in the last 10 Premier League appearances. Uh, it's bewildering, isn't it? Then you've got Martin Odegaard, 91% pass accuracy, uh, 38 touches, 31 passes in the final third. That was the most achieved in that game. Nine ball recoveries, five duels won, four chances created. That was the most. Four tackles, that was the most. Two touches in the opposition box, one shot, one goal. Mm. And this is, uh, before anyone has a go at me about the Liam Brady comparison, we're not there yet. 
I, mm-hmm. I do understand that. But what I'm saying is his work ethic. And, I mean, how uh, rounded the, the stats that you just gave on um, on Odegaard, how rounded is that? You know, he's that shows that he's doing a bit of everything, isn't it? And that's that's yeah. what you want. That's what you want from a captain, right? So, yeah, superb. Guys, um, got a couple of emails to whiz through. Uh, well, three, in fact. Sarah asks a relatively simple question. Who would you pick, Ozil or Kozula? Jay. Oh, I love Santi. I lo- he was just somehow else. And he played with a smile on his face. And he was, uh, I, I, Mesut was great. Mesut was, we really was. And he was, he had a, he had a sort of 12 month period where he was really, really good. Um, but Santi was just, oh God, you'd take him, wouldn't you? He's just, what a, what a great character could do unbelievable things with football. Um, yeah, for me, I'd go with Santi. He had such a good engine as well, didn't he? Um, yeah. Mitch? Uh, I mean, I if I'm choosing one of them to be put into this Arsenal team, I'm choosing Santi Cazola. Uh, Mesut was one of the best creative players in the last decade. Fantastic player. Uh, but uh, there's a reason that Mesut Ozil didn't work in this uh, in Mikel Arteta's setup. And it's because he's kind of a one-facing player. He, he, he didn't have a huge defensive work rate. Santi Guzola worked really, really nice in that uh, eight role under Wenger. Uh, and if we had a prime Santi Guzola in that left eight, oh, we'd be yeah. good. <laughs> we'd yeah. be very, very good. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, we had an emotional attachment to Santi as well. That was, that was the difference between those two players, two really, really exceptional players. But with Santi, you had an emotional connection. And we still haven't got over it because we never said goodbye to him properly. Right. The second one is from Robo Bob, the gooner. Um, he says, I bet all the Arteta haters are gutted that Arsenal are starting to turn a corner. I don't care about the top four uh, at the moment for the Champions League. I just want to see us playing well. That's a fair comment, isn't it? We'll have it if it's there, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, like the biggest thing with the process is we want to make an improvement. We've done that. We like, we want to keep playing well. We want to keep going, keep playing like this. We're going to make top four. If we miss out on it, it, I I think at this stage of the season, we've, we've kind of built up enough of an expectation where, where it's going to be disappointing if we don't get it. But like beginning of the season, we finished where we're like, okay, we finished like fifth. That's a successful season based on where we think we're at and where we think the other teams around us are at. Like we're already on pace to to get above seventy points. If we do that, I think that's that's pretty successful. That's a uh, again, I think that us continuing to play well and top four kind of go hand in hand. Uh, and then yeah, it's nice to win games and for uh, dumb people to shut up. It's super fun. Uh, like, cause those people aren't Arsenal fans. If you're actively rooting against your team so that your agenda can, can be correct. If you just have this, this hatred of Mikel Arteta, you just want him to fail so bad that you're rooting against your own team. There is something wrong with you. There's something, there's something wrong with you. I, 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 <laughs> I think, everybody, I think like, everybody needs to, it's important that everybody remembers their expectations at the start of the season, you know, because where we are now, it, you know, we're in a great position, great position, but um, ultimately we've had no European football this season. So any form of European football would be seen as a certain amount of improvement. So I think it's just important everybody remembers or tries to think back to their 
preseason um, expectations. Yeah, exactly. Not getting top four is is not a failure. Uh, it's it's a disappointment, but it would not be a failure. No, not at all. Um, no, we we uh, actually said, Jay, didn't we? We would we would sort of settle for fifth after the horrible start we had, all the disruptions and everything. And there is that prior to the start. <laughs> and sh- and there is, I mean, if 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 you can't see that there has been improvement, and quite a lot of it in this, you're not watching. You, you just <laughs> I, honestly, uh, you're. You, 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 I don't know what you're watching because it's it's not what we all see, is it? You know. Yeah, you lot out there. Hey, polish your eyeballs. Right. Uh, the last of the emails, uh, John V asks a very interesting question. Um, he asks, "Are you still a real Arsenal fan if you don't go regularly to the games?" I've encountered a degree of criticism because I tend to watch the majority of the games now on TV, but I'm still a devoted Arsenal fan. <laughs> Come on, you you either go. There are set circumstances where you can't afford to go, or you've got issues going. I mean, mine at the moment is obviously family commitment, so I'm not going to be trotting up to Arsenal every five minutes. But there are people that simply can't afford it, isn't it? You're still yeah, an Arsenal supporter, or uh, financial, <laughs> like family. Uh, I mean, the biggest thing for me is uh, geographical uh, commitments prevent me from going to a lot of Arsenal games. And I think that I speak for uh, a lot of Arsenal fans when I say that. Arsenal is a global club. That I've, I have interacted with so many different people from so many different places, from, from India, from the U.S., from, from England, from, just from everywhere. There, Arsenal is, is one of the biggest brands in football. And if you're calling someone who doesn't go to games regularly, that, mean, that would just say that Arsenal has like 60,000 fans. Like that's, that's really dumb. To, to, to not include so many people who are more, probably more devoted than some of the people that go to the games. I, like I went, I went to the Brentford match and I talked to a dude who, I, I don't know what team he was watching the whole year based on some of the stuff he was saying. Just because you go to matches doesn't mean, uh, doesn't mean you're better than people that don't. Just because you're willing to spend the money to go to matches. Some people prefer to watch games on TV. Some people prefer to watch it in the stadium. There's so many different factors and preferences of why people go or don't go to matches. And it's ridiculous to have this gatekeeper mentality uh, around, around people that can't go to matches, whether they can't afford to or, or physically can't. Yeah, it, it happened some years ago. I mean, many, many years ago, there was a, there was a kind of a bit of a snobbery about the armchair fan and the, the actual uh, paying fan. Uh, hopefully that's not coming back. I, I don't think it is. I think, you know, if you're Arsenal, you're Arsenal. What do you think, Jay? <laughs> it's, it's just, it's a load of rubbish. It's, it's the, the club's for everybody. You know, it's um, a global brand now, isn't it, Arsenal? They're, they're, a, they're followed all over the world. Um, if you're lucky enough to go to a game, it's amazing. Um, but you're... Um, view or your 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 opinion is just as as valid as anybody else who goes to the game. It, you know, it's it, or doesn't go to the game or whatever. You know, this this is we all ultimately want the team to do well. Um, I've been lucky enough to go to quite a few games down the years. I'd love to have gone to many many more, but you know, circumstances mean that that wasn't meant that that wasn't possible. So. It's a non non argument for me. I mean, I think it's a bit. 
you do see it. You do see this on social media. You do see certain um, arguments spring up or views spring up from time to time. But I haven't I haven't really seen it too much recently. And I think it goes hand in hand with how well the team are doing, because when the team weren't doing very well, the, the, the criticism or a large criticism was that was aimed at the, at, at the atmosphere inside the ground. And inside the Emirates, you know, and there'll be a lot of, um, I don't know, um, supporters who maybe don't support the club and they just have got tickets through a friend or whatever. Um, and, they, and it contributed to the atmosphere being being um, not so good. But Mitch, you've been this season. I've been this season on a number of occasions and the atmosphere has been really good. And I've been lucky enough to go away to a few grounds and it's been really good. And it's been positive. And I think that this argument only it was it was a lot more sort of prevalent in a few years back. But um, because the team's doing better, the overall sort of um, view is a lot more positive about the team and the fan base these days. Um, So, yeah, I know I've, I've sort of gone off point a bit there, but I think we like it. I just think it's awesome. The, the, the clubs for everybody. It's not. And, and that's that's not just if you go to the games. That's whatever your background is, disability or whatever. This, this isn't something you know. We, how, for how long now has the, the fan base been fighting amongst each other and and just been disagreeing on whatever and you know not liking AFTV or not liking Wenger or not liking whatever. You know, we're another in, thing to divide us. If you don't need that, and and I mean, this is about as positive as I can remember for a long time where we are even you know after winning FA Cups under Wenger you know you've got to go back quite a way before that for me anyway to um the feelings that I have watching the team and 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 I'll admit it and it's been recorded on this podcast that I have doubted Arteta and I have questioned at times of his you know in times of his um reign as manager I have doubted him and but I, he's he's proven me wrong and then you, that's what you want. We wanted to be proved wrong. You want, to, and everybody, the whole fan base wants the team to do well. And this is as positive as I can remember. And we just all need to keep it that way and not, not be divided in that sort of crap like this, you know? Um, let's just I think the message, back. John, is just keep supporting them and, and yeah, yeah. just 100%. don't listen. 100%. Don't listen. Got a couple of quick ones for you before we go. Uh, Sports Bible have pointed out that Harry Kane is now level with Arsenal legend Thierry Henry on 175. I think he's actually got 176, hasn't he? Uh, Victoria, Victoria, who's an absolute gooner. We, we love Victoria because she said anyone who says they would take Harry Kane over a prime Thierry Henry shouldn't be allowed to watch football. <laughs> I mean, stats and goals are one thing, aren't they? But you cannot compare Harry Kane to a prime Thierry Henry. It just, it's not possible, is it? No, not at all. I mean, I think Thierry did it in, what, 12 games less. But also, Thierry Thierry won trophies. Kane's won nothing. And I know everybody said this has been all over social media, hasn't it? You know, um, Kane's a good striker. Nobody's debating that. He's he's one of the best in the league at the moment, um, but until he wins it, until he wins something or he leaves Spurs and wins something, he's always going to have this, isn't he? He's always going to have it hanging over his 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 shoulder, you know. So, uh, yeah, no comparison. Thierry's just different level, different world to to Harry Kane, different galaxy. 
Yeah, I don't think the goals or the trophies should even matter because it's about a style of play. It's about a quality. It's about a class. And Harry Kane can't get up to that level. Great at what he does, not knocking that. And the goals speak for themselves. But you cannot recruit. I mean, he is going to be one of those players that you're waiting for the next version to come along. And even when it does come along, it's not going to be as good as Thierry Henry was. Mitch? Uh, I mean, they're the two best strikers in Premier League history. I, I hate Harry Kane. I hate Tottenham. What about? I, I, have, to, I, have, I have to. I have to give. I have to give Harry Kane. Disagree with his that. Respect of being phenomenal. He's a great player, a fantastic player. Um, I don't know if he's at Henri's level, uh, but he's a, a fantastic player. One of the greatest strikers in Premier League history, uh, and. Uh, I, I'm kind of starting to feel bad for him. I hope he leaves Tottenham, uh, Tottenham so that like maybe he can win something because I definitely don't want him winning anything with Tottenham. But like, <laughs> I, I I feel bad for him at this point. To like, I respect riding riding with your with your team, but if but if you don't win anything with it, like that's just that's just a wasted a wasted prime and a wasted career. Um, it's it's a bummer that uh, it's a bummer for him that he was this good for this long. And never won anything. Uh, it kind of puts a little bit of a mark, at least in his career so far. Obviously, this could change at some point. But uh, I mean, two fantastic strikers. Congratulations to Harry Kane for doing that. Uh, but uh, I don't think it's worth putting too much. It's it's two different Premier League eras, two very different profiles of of, of strikers, and two very different teams. So, Jay, you disagreed. Who would you have put up there in the best? Well, above Harry Kane, I, I can name Eric. Um, so Jamie Vardy, Luis Suarez, Sergio Aguero, Alan Shearer. Aguero, um, who's Didier Drogba, uh, Robbie Fowler, Michael Owen. Oh, bloody uh, Ian Wright, bloody hell, Dennis Bergkamp. Yeah, Kane's good. Look, don't get me wrong. Kane, Kane is a good goal scorer, um, but I. I don't think it's a little asterisk that you put next to his name if he doesn't win a trophy. I think it's a huge one. I think he's at the, at, at the elite level; those goals have got to mean something. They've got to. He's got to get. He has to be the reason, like Henri was for so many years. He the difference and getting over the line, getting to cup finals, winning trophies. Um, and for me, until the, until he does that, he, he it will his career will have a massive asterisk next to it. He's a great goal scorer. I'm not debating that. Um, but he's he's been at Spurs a long time now and he's played in a lot of different sort of iterations of the team. He's played for different managers. Um, everything still remained the same. He's still His goals haven't got them over the line. And I mean, I could go on with strikers that I consider to be to have had a better career than him. Um, so yeah, I hope, he, I hope he does stay at Spurs and I hope they don't win anything for years. <laughs> never. So, guys, before we go, let's have a look at the top and the bottom. Um, let's have a look at the bottom first. Who do you think will be joining? I think it's a, it's a done deal here. I can't see Norwich uh, doing anything apart from dropping. Watford are fairly close. Uh, Burnley are struggling at the minute. Who's going to take that that last place, the 18th place, and face the drop? Out of Burnley, Everton, Leeds, and Brentford, I was, I, my guess a couple of weeks ago was Leeds. Uh, I think 
still have to see. I, I uh, they lost their first match with Jesse March taking over, uh, but like they looked really good. Like they shouldn't have lost that. Like they they way outplayed Lester and Lester got the goal, and that's just that's how it happens sometimes. So I uh, I think Leeds is still to be seen. I was I would have said confidently that Everton are going to be fine. After last night, I'm not confident Everton are going to be fine. I think they're my pick for the third spot right now. Because Sean Dyche has double magic on his side. Like, they're not getting relegated. Burnley is not getting relegated. Like, Sean, my, uh, Sean, Sean Dyche made a, a deal with the devil. Burnley will never get relegated. Uh, I think it'll be Everton right now. Yeah, me too. Jay? Yeah, I'm just looking now. I mean, Brentford have played quite a few games more than the rest. Um, I will fight for Brentford. They will be okay. Yeah, they're, uh, <laughs> six points. That they're six points ahead of Burnley. So that's a lot, isn't it? I suppose they, they've got to make up. There, they are. Everton and Brentford are really struggling. I think Leeds will be all right. Like you said, they. I think they'll be okay. I think Everton are just. I mean, they are struggling, aren't they? They really are. They they they're so poor. Um, who's it going to be? I'm with I'm with you, Mitch. I don't think Burnley will. Everton just look really, really bad. You, I mean, where's their turnaround going to come from? You know, like where, where's the quality? I, I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's. Oh, but Everton do have the quality. I don't know. I'm going to go Brentford. I'm going to go. I just think I've, I've thought it for a little while. Um, they've been struggling. Maybe Brentford. I don't. know. It's tough because they're all crap, aren't they? They're all really bad. Right, at the top, at the top, we're going to disagree. We're going to have a bit of a tiff. Um, but at the top, uh, for fourth place, Arsenal, Manchester United, West Ham. Can you see Tottenham and Wolves making an impact in that? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's going to be between, uh, us, Tottenham and United. I think that's what it's going to come down to those three. Uh, that's kind of what it's been the whole season. Like Wolves, Wolves have made a little bit of a push. Uh, West Ham has been hanging up there all season. Uh, I, I think it's always been down to those, the, to these three. Um, at the beginning of the season, I was very confident that it was going to be like a very set top four. It was going to be, it was going to be Chelsea, Liverpool, City, and United. The, the strengths of their rosters alone were good enough to propel all of those teams to be basically locked in for a top four and potentially a title fight. Uh, United's really dropped off. From from what they were, uh, from what I expected them to be, um, and it's it's open an opportunity. We have that opportunity. Uh, we're playing well. If we continue to play play well, we win our cup finals that we have uh, from here to the end of the season. Uh, I think that spot's ours. Uh, but like we were saying earlier, uh, I, I don't think I don't think we, I don't think it's guaranteed. There's some people that are acting like it's guaranteed. I think it's very fun. It, it, you, we, you get wrapped up in wins just like you're wrapped up in losses. You're like, oh, we played great. We're going to get top four. We got this. Um, getting a little a little cocky, you know? Uh, and I, I totally think we can. Totally think we can. Spurs are still a very good team. They still have Antonio Conte. They still have Hyunmin Sun. They still have Harry Kane. They still have some, some very talented players. Uh, Man United, still Man United. They still have a lot of individual brilliance that can make things happen. They got thrashed by Man City, uh, but they they still got they still got a, a tall a solid roster. 
that that's that strength of roster that they had projected going into the season hasn't really gone away. They still they still have a lot of talent. Uh, and if they start figuring out Ragnick has improved them, uh, it just will we'll have to see to the degree of how much Ragnick has improved them. Uh, and I don't know if he has exponentially done it the way Conte has at Spurs. Uh, they've got to gain a lot more consistency, though. We are the best team right now of those three. We just need to be for the rest of the season. Jay, who's who's in it with us for that fourth slot? Yeah, uh, Mitch, I think Wolves, have, they've dropped off a bit and they've slipped up and I think they've probably fell a little bit too far back now. Um, West Ham have got Europe to deal with. They've got the Europa League and so have, um, so have Man United. They've got the Champions League. Um, I think if we stay injury free, which, you know, is the... Is the key to it really? Because we've got we haven't got the biggest of squads, have we? If we manage to avoid injuries and maybe get Smith Rowe back um, and Tommy Asu back, you know we're in as we're in the best position. <laughs> you, you know we're in a great position, um, but there's so many more games still to be played, and we all play against each other. Um, Spurs are still there, you know. That was a good win for them against Everton, wasn't it? Um, so. Um, you have to you have to say that at the minute we're the favourites, um, but United have got a deep squad and they've got good players still, so they're still super dangerous. And uh, we, the games are going to come thick and fast, aren't they? From sort of Leicester onwards, so it's going to be a real test. Um, but I think I think we can do it. I, I think we can. I think we're we're the form team. Just avoid those injuries, get a bit of luck along the way, and. Uh, it's there for us, but if we don't make it, like with Mitch said earlier, it's not it's not a disaster because I think if we don't make it top, I think if we don't make it, it's going to be very very close, and and we're going to probably, you know, if if we end up in the Europa League, that's still an achievement for me. So, uh, we're, but we're right in the mix, and uh, we we seem to be taking control of it, don't we? You know, we've got Leicester and then we've got Villa. If we can get results in those games, we can maybe afford to slip up against Spurs or or, or Liverpool or or even Man United. You know, drop drop some points. Hopefully not, but you know, we're getting ourselves in a really good position. Guys, it's been a brilliant podcast. There's been so much stuff come through. Uh, it's been absolutely excellent, and uh, I look forward to the next one. Thanks very much as always, and uh, let's keep our fingers, legs, ears, eyes, everything else crossed. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. Right then, we're all done here. Thanks to Silent Dave, Isaiah, Jay and Mitch. You can find all the boys on Twitter, Dave as SilentDave101. You can look up Isaiah at A Arsenology. Jay as the ball gooner, and Mitch as Mitch Piotta. Check out the blogs at AmericanArsenology.medium.com or TheArseReview.com. Check out the YouTube version, like, follow or subscribe. Shout outs to Brandon Murphy and everyone at arsdevils.com. Email the show at it's an arsenal thing for at gmail.com or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for taking the time to tune in and join us. Stay safe until next time. And remember, North London is red.
Jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle. 